It's such a privilege to um, get this mask off. <laughs> I am uh, kind of a little bit overwhelmed today, just basking in the, both the joy and the privilege of, of standing shoulder to shoulder with my brothers and sisters. It means so much to me. For the last 18 months plus, we've been doing the best we can. We've been facing down, you know, camera lenses and Zoom conversations and feel like we just mess it up more often than we get it right. But just being in this place shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters is like a gift. I hope you're appreciating it as much as I am. And while I'm sitting there, I'm just reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but he says, be filled with the Spirit, you Cape Tonians. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I've never seen the relationship between singing and gathering as something so profound. We need to hear this carefully because I think when we sing songs like the band led us in, it's, I believe in God the Father. I don't know about you, but I just felt like I believed it a little bit more. When, I, when we talk about I believe in the resurrection, folk, these things are not true because we sing them. We sing them because we're true, but Paul's point is not that we sing them because they're true. It's that we sing to each other to make them more true in our lives. And I'm saying this to all of us, to bring our brothers and sisters back into this wonderful sense of fresh momentum as the gathered church for our own soul's sake, for our family community's sake, that our confessions would deepen, that we would own the stuff we say we believe, not in our pajamas sipping coffee. I know that, yeah, we need to respect this virus. It is, and so respect to anybody who listens to this talk. We need to respect the reality of that. But, folk, we need to respect 2,000 years of church history as a gathered church, standing shoulder to shoulder in the beauty and power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for those two people that agreed with me. You know those envelopes that were being handed out earlier? <laughs> oh. Suddenly, we got a lot of takers. People are agreeing with me at last. Let's give the Lord a hand for this thing of gathered church. I've recently, soon I've returned from Kenya. Good to know what's happening in the rest of the church. And we were up there talking to leaders, appointing deacons and uh, eldership couple in a church, and it was wonderful, like this, we stood, and I'm feeling like just seeing hundreds of people flock in to these meetings where they haven't been gathering like we are, and just to see this fresh sense of coming alive, not as an individual, as a community, as a faithful, witnessing, worshiping presence in our, in our cities and in our various parts of Cape Town. And uh, you know, this is what started some of this journey for me. And then recently, I've just heard of my dear friend, uh, Seshi, in Dar es Salaam. We've been there a couple of times. Seshi went to be with Jesus after a long battle, two years plus with a brain tumor. And uh, 
on the Sunday after our meeting in Kenya, these guys met. And in, in Dar es Salaam, I don't think they've had the virus, according to the politicians. But that's another conversation. My point is just simply, they gathered. And the place was standing room only as they came together. And that church is, without their pastor, is going through this wonderful sense of God, faithful, building his church, a new leader is emerging. And I'm just wanting to say, uh, the day the church stops being the church is the day Jesus falls out of heaven and stops being the head of the church. That's not going to happen anytime soon. So let's gather to him. Uh, my privilege this morning is to speak to you uh, in talk six in the Exodus journey, and I'm speaking to you on what I've entitled the names and the nature of God. And I really, in my prep, have felt like this is going to speak to the journey of Seaburg in the coming months as you trust God in, in new ways. And so I want us just to look through the whole story of the Exodus, the people of God coming out of Egypt through the Red Sea. I want to look uh, through the lens of Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 4 from the message. And it says, When Israel was only a child like this nation in formation, I loved him. I called out. My son called him out of Egypt. I want you to see that. This is the story. The people of God being called out of Egypt. And when others called him, he ran off and left me. He worshipped the popular sex gods. He played at religion with toy gods. Still, I stuck with him. I led Ephraim. I rescued him from human bondage. But he never acknowledged my help, never admitted that I was the one pulling his wagon, that I lifted him like a baby to my cheek, that I bent down to feed him. What I want you to see in this backward look at Exodus is this tenderness of God. I want you to see this deep, jealous love of God for his people and the Bible calls us in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, all these stories that happened with Israel and the people of God in the wilderness and uh, down through the Old Testament, everything you read about Israel is written down, listen carefully, for us, the people who are living on this side of the cross, the new covenant people of God, is written down for us as warnings and examples upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So this isn't just... Oh, we're catching up on the story of how God led his people. This is us learning the lessons that are familiar to every generation of people. We go through these wilderness experiences. We go through feelings of we don't have provision. We go through the sense of who's going to rescue us in our difficulties. Here is an amazing narrative to feed our journey, particularly in the coming months. And so we see that this passage you read shows a father who comes down to rescue his adopted people from an abusive home and an abusive father by the name of Pharaoh. And so he hardens Pharaoh's heart to expose him, one plague after another, as a serial abuser. And he deals with him with might and power. And then not just is he doing this toward Pharaoh, toward his own people, he's revealing his power to win his children over to a life of trust and to encourage their followership in the coming months and years. And so I want to come back to this concept of jealous love. That's what God is revealing. Behind this is his jealous 
love. And we're going to look at four expressions of God's jealous love. But before we do that, I want us to just unpack this word jealousy because some of you I know are thinking, oh, I don't want a God who's jealous. And, I'll, and you'll see why you don't want a God who's jealous. But I want to make a pitch today to say we, we, we need this jealous God if we want to be truly, truly loved. And uh, it's only in his jealousy that we can experience God's beautiful uh, commitment to our well-being. It's in his jealousy that he reveals himself. His covenantal names are all about God saying, I'm going to show you something of who I am. Aren't you grateful that you don't have to invent God? The tyranny of having to invent God, we'd probably invent a God like ourselves, which is the worst nightmare. But the God of the Bible is the God who releases us from that fantasy and says, you'll never get the God you really need if you're inventing your own one. So I'm going to come to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to cause you to know what I'm really like. So safety belts on. Let's uh, look at this other verse around jealousy in Exodus, 30, uh, uh, in Exodus 34. We read these words. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You've got, you got this thing of name and nature. God's not got jealous because his name is... No, he's got a name because his nature is jealous. And then in Exodus 20, which is still coming up in the, the journey... How's that? No. Nope. Are you okay? Which is code for me. Am I doing okay? <laughs> In Exodus 20, we read the, these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then he goes into the first commandment and he says, You shall have no other gods before me, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So there's this theologian dude in Biola University, who unpacks this concept of jealousy. You can read it on the screens, but I'm, it's, it's really, really powerful. While all human words are frail and limiting in describing God, we need to allow God's verbal revelation to hold the power and meaning He intends for it to have. Envy is a desire to gain possession of something that does not belong to you, and it is always sinful. Jealousy is a strong desire for relational faithfulness. Jealousy can be sinful if it is unwarranted or expressed in wrong ways, but it can also be appropriate and uh, an appropriate and righteous emotion. We don't usually make a distinction between envy and jealousy, which contributes to the PR problem jealousy has. God is righteous and loving when he demands exclusive faithfulness from his covenant people. If he does not care when we love idols or other stuff more than him, then he would allow himself to be dishonored and let us settle for less than we were intended to have from life. God's jealous love demands the best for us and from us, 
and our relationships. To worship any God but the true God is spiritual adultery, and any husband who does not care if his wife commits adultery most certainly does not love her. This explains God's jealous love. And now we're going to dive into these four names. I'm going to try and keep them punchy and to the point and make the application to us here in Seaburg. And so the first name we're going to look at is this name, God will provide, or his covenant name, Yahweh will provide. That's the name by which God, when he uses that name of himself, he's using that Hebrew understanding of God is, I am who I am, the essence of my being. And when it's, I will provide, it's Yahweh will provide, it's Yahweh saying, I am going to be who I am, a provider. I can only be who I am. And that's very wonderful as we see this play out in the life of Abraham. Now, I know this is not in Exodus, but listen carefully. We have to discover this because Jehovah will provide is running right through the Exodus story, and all the other names are, are actually derivatives of this jealous love of his people. And so we have to start there. Uh, the first time God reveals himself in this Jovistic combination, Yah, Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh will provide. So, uh, in Genesis 22, verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will, prov- Lord will provide. Yahweh will provide. So Abraham is up on the mountain. God has said, offer your only son, your one and only son, as a sacrifice. And uh, Abraham's taking Isaac on the mountain. On the mount. As they're going up, collecting the firewood, Isaac says, Dad, where's, where's the sacrifice for the burnt offering? To Abraham says to his son, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. In other words, in Abraham's mind, he's doing what God's called him to do. I mean, if God were to tell you to sacrifice your son or tell me to sacrifice my son, I'm, I'm, I'm already in trouble because I'm probably going to ignore the request. I'm probably in my carnality going to say, God would surely never ask me to do something so barbaric. But as you watch it play out, it is a beautiful for, uh, a prefiguring of the God who's prepared to offer his own son for the sins and, and salvation of the world. And so, uh, and so, uh, they get up on the mountain. As he's about to plunge the knife into his son, the angel of the Lord says from heaven a second time, Now I know, you, Abraham, you really fear me. And he says, I swear by myself, I will surely bless you and make you and your nation, your, 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 your offspring, a great nation, etc., etc. But here's the point. While Abraham is doing this, the lamb or the ram was already in the thicket, waiting. The provision was already there. The Lord will provide himself, for himself, a lamb. And so they named the place when they've offered the ram, Jehovah will provide. Jehovah will, it's like Susan, the super granny. I just thought of that this morning, love. It's just so good. Because it's, Susan is her name, but she's the super granny. It's part of who she is. It's in her DNA. I promise you, there is not a better granny on planet Earth. You may be as good, but I don't know anybody like my wife in terms of the grandkids. It's the essence of 
and it captures who she is, what she does. But interestingly, that the word provision, the Lord will provide in the English, is made up of two words, pro, meaning for you, or, or, uh, or meaning before, being proactive. The, the Lord is your provider. He's proactive for your well-being. And V-Day is like video. He's seen what you are going to go through before you're going to get there. And so there's this wonderful sense when you know God as Jehovah, provi- uh, Jehovah will provide or Jehovah Jireh. He's always seeing to our needs and has the basis covered before we've entered the full experience of those things. One teacher said, God stood at the beginning of history and saw everything as though it were present. And he saw to everything he saw. There wasn't a thing God saw that he didn't see to. So we don't need to get worried about what we can see, because God already saw it and saw to it. This morning I was just doing my prep, and out of my study window, final prep, there's a double rainbow in the sky. It was like, as I was doing this stuff, I'm thinking, God has said, I will provide. I am going to take care of it. That's what the covenant language of the rainbow was. God says, I'm good for this. Of course, there's these questions. Two things or two facts about God's provision. Firstly, God often keeps us waiting to the last possible minute. Anybody can identify with that? Okay, just the one of you, two of you. Before providing, why? Is it to frustrate us? Or is it to teach us to rely on Him completely until breakthrough comes? And the second thing I want you to notice is that uh, God often gives to us as we give to Him. God says to Abraham, I want your Isaac. I want the most important thing. You've made the blessings I've given you more important than me. I want you to give what is potentially an idol in your life, something that you've given such massive significance. I want you to give it back to me. And God wants to often see us give to him those things so that he can give them back to us in abundance. (laughs) There's a principle here. And so God gives Isaac back to Abraham. This is true in every dimension of life. Uh, the thing you need the most, start giving away. Find a way to do it. The, the one area in the whole Bible that God says we should test him is in the area of our finances and our stewardship. Malachi chapter 3, three and verse 10. He says, bring all the money that I'm worthy of in this season of life. Bring it to me. Bring it into my storehouse and see. Test me in this, he says. That's the Hebrew language. Test me in this and see if I will not pour out a blessing on you. Folk, your future, as you move across from this dump to that palace over there, I know we're grateful for what God's given us here. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying it is so exciting. Folks, this is a miracle. It's absolutely amazing what God has done. And God invites us to test Him as we emerge, not just into our gathering. Let's also emerge into our economic partnership. And so we're going to back the vision in and through this local church. We're going to back this project. We're not going to be on the back foot. We're going to give this to God. Because you know, folk, you'll never, ever outgive God. God's going to show you that you will never, ever be able to outgive Him as you move forward. Okay, second name. 
and I'll be a bit short on the elders. I just wanted us to get this background name, the one who's promised to provide. The second name is Yahweh our warrior. Let's pick it up in Exodus 15. And from chapter 15 to 17 are the most dense concentration of the names of God in the whole of the Bible. In other words, when, when, when it comes to Jehovah saying, I'm like this. Here we get him as a warrior. We're going to see him uh, as a, in a moment as a healer. And then we're going to see him as our banner. And all of these are in these chapters. And the first one, Yahweh's warrior says, When Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, the horse and rider. He is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. You can clap now. And he has also become my salvation. He's my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is our warrior. The Lord is his name. Sue, did, did I sufficiently embarrass you, love? Just pray for me in the car going home. I had a few off notes. Sue's got perfect pitch, so she knows when I get it wrong. Notice what's happening here. What's, what's happening here? They have just come through the Red Sea. The two walls of water have closed over the Egyptian army. It's absolutely magnificent. What do you do? You didn't fight the battle. You just walked through this miracle and you participated in it. God fought the battle, put, Hebrew, put, uh, put Pharaoh down, crushed his armies, crushed them. He won. We won. God is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And you know when that really gets into you, you know what else comes out of you? A song. When you understand the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the miracles of God, you add melody to your faith. And what you see is this Yahweh God. He's not neutral. He's not passive. He's not indifferent. He's not backfooted. He's not lazy. He's delivering Israel, but he's also decisively judging the pretender gods of Egypt. The Lord is a warrior. Another translation says, The Lord is a man of war. When you meet an eloquent person, you say, That's a man of words. When you meet somebody who's skillful in war, you say, Oh, Man of war. God's got a track record here. By the way, that's not the first time. God had a war in heaven once, and he booted angels out, and he won that round, and he wins every round, ultimately, where he takes on the enemies of his people. And, of course, that language, he's a man of war, points down through the centuries of time, points down to the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, who breaks into history, who takes on demonic powers in the wilderness, who overcomes them. Oh, my dear, we have a mighty warrior. He is consummate with wisdom and strength and courage. He's fully equipped, having on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the garment of vengeance and the cloak of zeal. He has a robe dis dipped in blood and with a sword girded to his thigh and drawn. It's coming out of his mouth to judge the nations. He's going forth to conquer, for he is victorious. And in and through Jesus Christ, God is going to conquer, has conquered sin on the cross, has conquered sin, has conquered the, the world. History belongs to him. He has the title deeds to the future, and he subdues 
all his enemies and he makes all his people in this life more than conquerors through him who has already conquered. He is our mighty warrior. And folk, this warrior fought on behalf of this community. We were dead in the water. Excuse the metaphor. <laughs> it's impossible. When Don went to go and see the local council who we're trying so hard to work with, she didn't know that the permission had been granted. <laughs> it was just hilarious. It's like all we did was in our knees, on our knees, trust our mighty warrior. We knew we could not pull this off, and God has pulled it off. We've got permission in the most prime site to gather as a Christian community in the whole of the southern suburbs. It's better than Rondebosch. Friends, this is incredible. It should excite us and thrill us. And Rondebosch doesn't even have a whiny state on the common. <laughs> Guys, it's so important that we, I'm trying not just to preach, I'm trying to stir your faith and understand this is not something we're going to pull off. It's something that is just the fruit of God's jealous love over this community. We'll have to be at our best. God's always at his best. Jehovah, your healer. Thirdly, if you listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Yahweh, Yahweh, your healer. This is very, very interesting. Why? What's so interesting about this? Because he's watched God kill and destroy the enemies of Israel. But Israel's actually not sick. And God's coming and revealing himself to his people. Well, they get to this pool of water called Mara. The waters are really bitter. Now, here's the point. They're singing all these songs you've heard about, Melody to Faith. And what do you think the time difference is from the time they were singing all of this great, yay, 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 what's the time difference between that and now they're grumbling and complaining to Moses and to God because there's no fresh water. Now, the time frame will help us understand why. It's only three days. In three days, tell you what, when you're really thirsty, you can forget all the good things that God has done. And that's the problem with some of the difficulties we go through in our lives. We forget the goodness of God. Just a few days before, a few weeks before, a few years before, we forget that. And sometimes we've got to ask the question, are we, are we predominantly grumblers who from time to time worship? Or are we worshipers who from time to time have a little episode of grumbling? And I think God wants to challenge us to become worshipers who are encountering the God we're talking about this morning and finding grace in difficult times. Folks, the circumstances of the last two years have stretched us but the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and if you're a new Christ follower and you're just trying to work out this Christian faith, here's some good news. The stretching that you're in, God also wants to stretch you and I into His grace, into His sufficiency. It's not just about having a tough life. It's about encountering God in this tough life. And so God tells Moses when they're all complaining, He says, throw a branch 
What a beautiful story here. These bitter waters. Throw a branch. How come not Moses stirring it up with his rod? He's just done the trick with Pharaoh, turning it into a snake, picking it up. He's, he's hit the, Red sea, the, the, the river Nile and turned it into blood. He struck the, the Red Sea and it opened up for the people. And they get to their... F- and the next minute, God says, no, no, not your rod. That branch. A lot of commentators say the branch prefigures the cross. The throwing in, you need, you need something more than what's in your hand. Moses, you need something that I'm looking at and retrofitting it into your moment. I, I want you to, to see this is not about you. Spurgeon says like uh, of this, that's like us. We think, oh, that's the only thing God can do. Careful when it comes to the areas of healing that we're not sitting with a whole lot of formulas. Because these guys aren't even sick and God's revealing himself as healer. Why? Because of the future. He's saying, that's just part of what I'm going to be like to you. Before you've even got sick, I want you to know I'm a covenant-keeping God. I care about you. I'm going to heal you. And here's the mystery of the healing thing, and this is all I want to say, is whether you're healed or not healed, remember, you're still going to die in this life. And so healing is, is, it's got to become more than just getting healed of those uh, ailments, serious illness. There's got to be more than that. When God says, I'm your healer, and he's pointing to Jesus, he's talking about the one who died on a cross, not just to heal our diseases, but to secure a whole new resurrection body for us. So even in this life, because we're all going to get old, I looked in the mirror the other day, I saw some hairs going out at right angles out of my ears, and I thought, where did that come from? I bind you, Satan. Well, it won't work, because that's just old age, and it's part of... And, 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 and every one of us is dying from the day we were born because it's in the genetics of a fallen human race. But I don't want to be doomy and gloomy. It's just as I want to say, don't make disease and the, your, your scorecard on getting through every issue in this life the ultimate scorecard. The ultimate scorecard is Jesus. By his stripes, you were healed. Yes, blessings of healing in this life, but more than that, a glory, a glorious new earth suit in the heavens that can walk through walls and calm dimensions. I don't know how that all plays out. Don't quote me. My name is Don Miller for the sake of the recording. <laughs> Last one. Last one. Fourthly and finally, this is so cool. Not just Jehovah, your provider. Not just Jehovah, your, let me see if you're listening. Your warrior who fights on our behalf. Not just Jehovah, your healer. The whole thing about the, if you do the science on that wood, it would uh, drop certain chemicals into the water that would call the sentiments. He says, I won't bring the diseases I brought on them. Some of their diseases came from drinking the Nile water. And God says, I'm going to do something that just takes that out of play for you. What a beautiful thing. He, he heals the water, not them. But if they drank that bad water, they would have been sick. So he's giving them the sweet, beautiful, uh, Mark Ustazen's kind of water, H2, whatever you call H2O, beautiful water. Now it's Yahweh, our banner. And in Exodus 17, verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord, my banner. Yahweh our banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So setting the scene, uh, these guys have just on their wilderness journey, they've sort of baby steps into following Yahweh. God has led them out of Egypt, and now he's leading them into 
this journey of transformation. It's the same with us. He leads us out of our sinful past into this journey of transformation, conformity to the image of Christ. We're growing. And, uh, and, and, and just in the early part of the journey, this, uh, this uh, pagan army called, called the Amalekites came in the most cowardly, wicked way. They snuck up on the weak part of the, of, of the camp of the Israelites, came into the rear of the camp, and they found women and children, and they smote some of them, and some they took away to enjoy. Probably the weak and the older folk, some of them were killed, and others were taken away with uh, some of the livestock. And God now says, uh, at, after the battle with Amalek has been won, he, Moses built an altar and called it the Lord my banner. He saw God in a way that changed his life, changed the perspective of the people of God in future generations, us included. And what happened, Joshua and his army, a much smaller army than the Amalekites, were sent out to fight. Moses took Heron and Ur, his, probably his brother-in-law, and they're up on the high ground. And Joshua is fighting and there's this correlation between, between prayer and warfare. It's one we must remember. Let's not take, we're going to land that project over there through prayer and not just God being our warrior. We're going to be on our knees. We're going to be stretched. We're going to have some of these seasons, but it's going to be super exciting because you're going to see why. And as Moses, his hands are held up, as he lifts his hands, uh, and, and he got tired, Ur and uh, her and... Aaron, lift his hands even higher. There's this wonderful uh, partnership on the high ground, and then there's this wonderful military partnership on the low ground, but they were, they, they, they were in harmony with each other. And Amalek was defeated. And, uh, and, and Moses knew something about banners that we don't know. So he says, the Lord my banner. What made... Moses used that language, the Lord is my banner. I'm so glad you've asked this question. Firstly, when you go to war, and Joshua's down at the bottom, even though there wasn't potentially a physical banner, the idea of people looking to God symbolically, that sense of the Lord is my banner, as you look to God, there's a sense in which you've taken Yahweh's side. Ask a question this morning, maybe exploring the claims of Christ. It's a beautiful picture. Taking God's side is the best thing you can do because He is so for you. He's so loving. He's so jealous and committed to you in His love. And so it's like, remember, the how many of you guys have played paintball? How many girls have played paintball? Oh, my dear, I'm useless. When I go and play paintball with the congregation leaders, they just all want to shoot me. I don't know if it's like we get this moment once a year to pay Rigby back for all the times he's irritated. But I tell you what, one of the things you know you've won the battle is when you've caught your opponent's flag, when you take your flag, because if you've lost the flag, it's like losing the king. The flag is the symbol. It's the ensign of authority. And Moses said, the Lord is our banner. He's the king. We didn't, get the, we didn't win this because we're such great military strategists. 
Yahweh, we're on the side of Yahweh. He did it. The Lord is our banner. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the banner served as a rallying point. So in you remember in our concept of war, now it's mechanized. Back then it was arm to arm, you know, take on a guy. And when you've when you've done that and you and, and now you're thinking, what next? You might have a few rounds of that, but there comes a time in the weariness of battle, you need to gather someone. You need to see him. You need to take his side, but you also, in the middle of battle, need to know how to gather to him. You need to see him as the one you gather to, to be recommissioned, and to hear his whispers, to get his encouragements, to go back. Focus speaks of that, that rhythm that is needed in our intimacy with God. We run to him for safety and for new wisdom and instructions. And finally, the last reason that maybe we don't see it, but it's implied, this concept of God, our banner. Folk, what we see when we say God is our banner, it doesn't matter which side of the battle you're on. Yahweh has his way. Yahweh wins. (laughs) Yahweh is sovereign. And I think God wants to restore that to us, that sense of not triumphalistic, like, you know, uh, what's that word? False triumphalism, where you don't go through difficulties. I'm not, I'm not hitting that. I'm just saying who we look to in our difficulties. While the battle's on, they flee toward. They find him. They see him. They say, Yahweh, we're on your side. We're only looking to you. We know that, that it doesn't matter how big the enemy is, and it doesn't matter how big our muscles or our gains are. It all comes from you. You're the one who wins the battle. We see it in uh, Isaiah, one of the passages. I think it's chapter 11, verse 10. It says, in that day, talking of Jesus, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal or a banner for the people's To him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Oh, my friends, we need to find our resting place in the midst of the battles. And obviously, we anticipated the climax of history. Here I am, through. Can you see the gospel echoes in all of this? What are the gospel echoes in this, this love of a jealous God? We see he's not neutral. He's not the God of deism who went away on a journey, wound up the universe with a whole lot of natural laws and says, I'll see you at the end of history and we can, you know, we can chat to one another. This is the God who enters into history. This is the God who enters the time and space. This is the God who's jealous and is loving and can't back off because we, we matter to him. This is the God, when we look to the cross, we see a sacrificial warrior who more than just wants to be a king, who more than wants to be a conqueror, he wants to lay down his own life as a substitutionary sacrifice. And on the cross, Paul says in Colossians, he says he disarmed principalities and powers through his dying, through his servanthood, through his sacrificial life. Colossians also tells us that he canceled the list of all the charges against you and me where we've blown it and we know we don't qualify and he's canceled that and he said, I've died for that even when you don't even know that I've died for it. Died for you on the cross. See the echo, see the provider. God, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. The most important thing is he provides the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
of the world. See him on the cross. By his wounds, we are made whole. Not just physically, but for some of you in the room, emotionally, the struggles you've been through, the difficulty. Oh, you've thought God doesn't care about you, but I want to say to you, Yahweh says to you, I'm your healer. I'm a very present help, as we heard the band lead us in times of trouble. And my friend Sheshi, who went to be with Jesus, oh, he is, you know, sudden passing is sudden glory. If he could speak to us now, because all his words are now reserved for pure worship. And of course, he is our banner. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Friends, these names are not badges. This is demonstration of a God who says, I'm coming after you. I've invaded history in those stories you're reading, but my biggest invasion is when I sent the second person of the Trinity into history to reach you, to win you, to make you my own. Oh, yes, I adopted some people from Pharaoh, but now I'm adopting all those who will put their trust in me. I want to make you my own. These names, share it. And I ask us all and challenge us all, individually, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to trust this God, to say yes to Him, to move toward Him, to bring Him your life, to offer Him your, your Isaac, that big thing that nobody can tell you what to do with. You need to give it to God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I want to pray for us today and for you on this journey. This is not just a talk for individuals who are going through difficult times. It's about us as the people of God in our moment of history, standing together shoulder to shoulder as we go on this amazing next adventure. Next six months are going to be fantastic, not without challenges, fantastic. We're going to find this God in our story. Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege of pastoring your people through the Word. Thank you for the elders. Yeah, just generous invitation to be here today. I want to cry out to you for your, your mercy. I want to pray that you would uh, continue to speak to us through the self-revelation of your nature and your names. Help us to know you in a richer way, in a deeper way. Help us, even as we sing this next song about our good, good Father, help us to, to, in our hearts, sing loudly together as a community and make these confessions. Help us to add melody to our faith today as we sing together. In Christ's name, let's stand and the band will lead us. God bless you.